This podcast was recorded pre-lockdown. I wanted to share these episodes with you as they are still great conversations with great people about great times that will come back again. Hi and welcome to Series 2 of the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week we will talk to the great, the good and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive, who've been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital-first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So today I'm actually feeling like I'm at home, I'm over in Shoreditch and I always really like being in that area, walking around Truman Brewery and just sort of taking in all the new hip things that are happening and I'm off to see the King of Steaks and that is Will Beckett of Hawksmoor. Really, really excited to be working with Will uh, and having him on the podcast He's such an exciting guy, really happy-go-lucky, really positive, great culture maker within the business and just one of those people that you meet and you're so happy for everything that he's achieved and everything that he's doing to grow that company through just people love and quality ingredients. If you haven't been to Hawksmoor, I'd be really surprised, but it's definitely one of the regular restaurants that I check out all of the time and my usuals are the Shaky Pete's Ginger Brew so definitely check that out as a cocktail if you're ever there. It's a really great chat we will. We don't really do the Hawksmoor story just because he's done that in another podcast which we'll put in the show notes but it was just a really good chat to get a little bit deeper under the daily life of Will, what it's like to run an incredible restaurant group and his views of the industry and also some tips on what you can do to help your brand boom. So it gives me the most cheeky Pete's pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is the amazing, the fabulous Will Beckett from Hawksmoor. Thank you very much. It's an unusually kind introduction. <laughs> I get paid for this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I think you've done some podcasts on, you know, how did Hawksmoor start? You know, what's the success? Which we'll put in the show notes and people can listen to. So they'll get double value out of that. I think Humans of Hospitality, maybe you did? Yeah, I did one of those recently yeah. and we talked quite a bit about like Hawksmoor's yeah. story and, and, and how it went. And yeah, I don't know. I just kind of feel, I just, I just thought we should maybe just try and talk about other stuff go off piste well let's start a bit off piste then so um, when I came in uh, I was saying that I met a couple of friends last night in Covent Garden uh, Seven Dials and we were talking about Chateau Musard and you were telling me a bit of a story about going to Lebanon and having all these experiences with that because when you say to people it's a Lebanese wine they're like what the you know what's going on here but yeah. I mean, we're, how did you, were you one of the first out the traps to no, show that? No, or not or? at all. No, I mean, I think that's been. I think Chateau Musard is possibly even like beyond the kind of what I like, what a niche find, what a cool thing yeah, to yeah, kind yeah. of know about. It's like, pff, yeah, I mean, Chateau, everyone knows, knows about yeah, Chateau yeah. Musard. But 
I don't know. It's funny how much I like just to think about that in a slightly different way. Just because we we ended up talking about you talked about Chateau Moussard because you met someone that had a glass of it, and then we ended up talking about charity, Lebanon, my relationship with my mother, Game of Thrones bars. Um, Which is the and, second part of this podcast. And, I, and one of the cool <laughs> things I think about like Chateau Moussard is it, it's an opportunity to tell a story. Mm. And I really, really like, I mean, personally, I like that. In fact, if, you, if everybody was in the office that we're in today, you'd get a lot of eye rolling at this moment for like, fuck's sake, Will's going off and telling a story again. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's great. But I also really like I like it in terms of restaurants. So I don't feel people talk that much or talk enough maybe about how restaurants are social and how they really bring people together. Um, And those like story bits are just a really nice ways of doing that in a way that like, tell me about yourself is not. Yeah. Uh, You get way more about people by just hearing the stories they're interested in, the stories they like to tell. Well, we're talking about that too. You know, small talk at these networking things and how boring that is and I went to a fabulous one in, um, was it far from here actually it was in a sort of Google offshoot kind of office and what was it called it was something like Food Genius House of Genius right and when you went no one was allowed to see what they did where they were from and all that you had to it was like it was like speed dating with some rules yeah so the other cool thing about that was it was a surprise who the judges were for the people showing their startup. So what happened was you were not allowed to say, when I was at Pret, we did this, or, you know, because you're, you're ego in it, aren't you? And it's so lovely just yeah. to be on that level playing field and it's like, oh, you've got an allotment, oh, that's really cool, or you listen to that music, or you love those sneakers, or whatever it is. It was just a lovely thing, and but it was so hard not to say what you did. The guy who the guy who you just met in the office, who's a guy called Stephen Waters, who has a podcast. So no one has a clue who you met in the office. A guy called Stephen Waters, he has a company called Watershed. They do management training, uh, and we've worked with him for well over a decade. He's such a lovely guy, anyway. But I remember being in one of his courses, and he said, "Right, you're going to get to know each other. Before you get to know each other, just sit down with the person you're talking to." Mm-hmm. Have a look at them, bearing in mind you do not know them, and write down things that you think they're true, including, like, what music they listen to? Uh, what do they do? Yeah. What kind of company they work in? Where do they live? And it is insane how accurate people are. Oh, work. really? Yeah. We kind of wear it, right, a little yeah. bit. Uh, you know, I don't know, you look at me. What well, depends, yeah. Look at me, blue jeans and a... And a grey jumper and no hair. Bit of cashmere. And a, and a pair and a pair of not particularly impressive trainers. <laughs> I think it just screams like, well, probably middle-aged dad somewhere in London, yeah. da, 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 you know, or somewhere kind of residential in London, etc. Like, I don't know, you look at you with your brand new orange kicks and, yeah. uh, and the beard and the t-shirt and whatever, and you're going to be able to pick like, oh, I reckon music, I could tell you some stuff yeah. about music, I know you're going to live in a certain part of the world. It's funny how much of the stuff that we actually ask each other you can just guess. Yeah. And I think that goes into culture quite often. So, you know, when culture is spoken about, you guys are high up on that list. And I think, I think I saw on Twitter, you wrote something about the gender pay gap, but then you listed all these other things 
that you were doing. And it was amazing. There was like just safety things. There was people looking after each other things. You know, it was so exciting when you saw that, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that one, I think that one was about International Women's Day, actually. Where Was it? Yeah. Where... Did you not get told oh, off by your mum at some point in that? I did get told off. Well. I get told off by my mum all the time. <laughs> it's in, quite funny. <laughs> in particular, this one is because Gemma, we got digital marketing, and anything that's sensible on Twitter is Gemma, right? And anything that's just like it's weird hearing a brand just talk shit like that. That's the bowling, the, the bowls yeah. shot last night. Yeah, uh, yeah, the bowling. Exactly, yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, the uh, she posted something about like the wonderful ladies of Hawksmoor, Edinburgh, who on International Women's Day ran a whole service mm-hmm. in what's, you know, I think there's an assumption that, that state restaurants are quite blokey. Everyone who worked the service was a woman. Mm-hmm. Because in Edinburgh, at that point, every single manager, including the head chef, except one, was a woman. And they had a lot of, obviously, had a lot of female chefs and a lot of female front of staff. So they just said, all the men go home, International Women's Day, we're just going to do this all ourselves. Entirely them. And she wrote something about like being proud of the ladies of Hawksmoor. Was it the um, word ladies that was a problem? And my mum texted me and she was like, don't, don't call, yeah. don't call women ladies. Yeah. It's, women. It's, it's kind of a bit pejorative demeaning. To which my answer was, I just, you're really putting me in a difficult situation here, mum. You, you're asking me to mansplain to, to a 24-year-old woman how she should describe women. I, don't, I think I think you're asking too much. Here. Did you get your mum to call her? No, I think I just I think <laughs> I just said I just think I just kind of explained my dilemma on Twitter and hoped it would go away. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. What about the culture then? I mean... How do you hire people? How do you fire people nicely? How do you nurture them? You know, because culture just doesn't happen in the, the snap of a finger, right? And there's very few people have got it right. You know, probably yourselves, the Shum, you know, a, a lot of these types of bands, Pizza Pilgrim, they seem to be run on this special juice that many people can't replicate. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and uh, it's nice that you or, or people notice that because to me Hawksmoor is a culture business or it's a people business mm-hmm. that is almost accidentally a restaurant yeah. that always accidentally has restaurants to Hugh by the way if he talks to my business partner best mate 
I mean, he would cringe at that idea to him. Yeah. It's a restaurant, it's a restaurant, it's a restaurant, food, drink. That's, he's passionate about that, but I really like the people side of it. And we did a thing yesterday with some smaller restaurant companies, founders and people that run the HR department. That was, that, know, it was like 22 people who bought more breakfast and we sort of talked about how you go about making people happy. And they, and they asked, touched on the similar kind of stuff um, to what you just said. And I, I don't know, we kind of said, apart from like, why? And I don't really think, I mean, we spent, we've spent 15 minutes on, on why and how yeah. like Hawksmoor evolved into something like that. Um, but I don't think a lot of people need selling on why. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we could make a business case for it. Like, you could make a business case for actually. Do you know what digital marketing might be quite an important thing? People know <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's the how. Yeah, uh, that is interesting. I don't know what were some of the things that we said. Like, we've got a really good idea of who we are, mm-hmm. and we have always, I think, since we did Hawksmoor, which wasn't our first thing, had a really good idea of who we are. And by we, really, I mean for, in the beginning, me and you. Yeah, like we are. We are reasonably nice people. We work hard. We care about the standards in restaurants, but we just want to go to work and be ourselves. We've got no interest in like putting on a uniform or a suit or something that we'd never wear outside work and adopting kind of language or priorities or something that someone has put on us. That's not who we are. We have a really strong sense, I think, of what kind of people work here. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we articulated like the company's values very, very early and we try and hire to them. Yeah. Um, can you see what they are? I can, but it's one of, I, like I, I only pause because I'm conscious it just, it can sound so unbelievably wanky. Gagging a bit. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Enron had their values carved in marble yeah. in their, in their lobby of like integrity, respect, honour or whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, Doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, so ours, ours are like, uh, and, I, and I have to explain a little bit as well. So ours are work hard and be nice to people. Is it so you in the, the Anthony? Is it Anthony Burrow? Yeah, so we've got. Stuff. I mean, I'm actually surprised there isn't one up in yeah, 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 yeah. So like he's got that. So I saw that post and I bought it, and Amazing. I thought, oh yeah, that this is a long time ago. I thought, oh, that is that is broadly the only two things that me and Hugh have got going for us yeah, in yeah. business or in restaurants. We work hard and we are quite nice. And I was like, okay, that's like my anchor. I'm going to hold on to that. And what I kind of realised as I spent ages looking at people at Hawksmoor was actually neither of those things are remarkable in their own right. Mm -hmm. Loads of people work hard. Loads of people are nice. People at Hawksmoor do those two things at the same time. And that is difficult. And we've all seen that in restaurants Mm -hmm. where nice people become dicks because they are working hard. And... Actually, we've, I've seen worse than that often, which is that nice people come to believe that being a dick is how you get people to work. That's hard. the biggest problem. And oh my God, what is everyone doing? We've lost our minds. Yeah. Let's just, why don't we see if we can work hard and be nice at the same time? Yeah. And that is the absolute red line of Hawksmoor. If you cannot do that, you cannot work here. Well, it's interesting you say that. I was, I was presenting in Kiev, and after I was speaking, there was a chap from Union Square Hospitality. And he'd said that exact point. Like he was trying to go up in the organisation. He's really high up now. And it bled onto him, someone else being a dick. Yeah. And it made him be a dick as well. And he just caught himself yelling at this guy. And the guy that was his manager at the time said, 
you've lost. If you lose your temper, you're nasty to someone. You you've got nowhere else to go. You know, I think if you look around the if you look around the restaurant industry, and it's certainly less true than it used to be, mm. but I would say that some companies are characterised by answering the question very very well: what is good enough? And we've got we don't have that here. Yeah. We just like what's if you're going to do something, do it as well as you can. Which is kind of beyond the point where it just it makes financial sense. Just if you're going to do something, let's just really try and do a great version of that thing. Uh, Feels like a defense position rather than an offense position. And there's so many certainly casualty and companies I've worked for and with. Um, some of them were like that, and it was just just to get there, just make that one. You know, it was ruled from the spreadsheet rather than from yeah. the heart. And always a I mean, we, problem we, with that. You know, we've all definitely seen that in in. in in restaurants at times. And to be honest, I think that you can make really plausible arguments for doing it. Mm. It's just not us. So if we're kind of going yeah, back to know who you are, right. just like, I can't do it, you yeah. can't do it. Um, and we try to hire people who just, they can't, yeah. they can't, they can't just be okay at something and that's, and that's enough. Makes sense. The uh, development, just the idea that you know, tomorrow we should be better than we are today. And uh, it's actually quite difficult to like eke out improvements once you get to being yeah. quite good, but everyone's got to be comfortable with that's the goal. Because mm-hmm. um, we've also seen restaurant companies that start really interesting and great. And as they get bigger, they get worse. Mm-hmm. And there is, I mean, I, we've said this so many times, there, there is no size we could get to and no amount of money that we could make that would make us pleased that we got worse. Yeah. Uh, I, I just can't be bothered. We've yeah. got to keep trying to improve. And I mean, this is Hugh all over. Hugh is just the most obsessive. Everything's got to be better. Yeah. To the point where I mean, he drives people mad sometimes. But it's such a great thing that. that he instills yeah. in the company. You need that agent. Uh, support, which we stole from Setting the Table, Danny Meyer's book. Yes. He just, you know, I remember him saying, like, you know, he said, I think the way he put it was like, invert the triangle. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking, you know, you look around bits of the restaurant industry and you think, you look at people and think, a part of their job is to make their boss look good. Mm-hmm. And we should, we should, it should totally be the other way around. Yeah. If you are someone's boss or you've been there for longer, a part of your job should be to make people who are junior to you or newer than you look good. And whether that's like, uh, advice or feedback or I don't know training or just being kind or being someone to talk to when life or work is difficult like support people that way and you know we call the people who work in this office the support team restaurants are the main thing we're just there to support restaurants and that's everyone from me down to the most junior most new person that's their role here um, and then the last one's personality, right? Just come to work and be yourself. There are lots of companies yeah. where you couldn't come to work. You, you who is obviously good yeah. at restaurant marketing, cannot take the restaurant marketing director's job yeah. and be you. No. You have to be someone else. Yeah. Again, we, what the fuck are we talking about? Yeah. What, why would that possibly be the right way to do things? Um, and in restaurants in particular, like surely the most fundamental parts of restaurants are the people who work here mm. should make the people who come into the restaurants happy. Yeah. As a result, the company that owns the restaurants should try and make the people who work here 
happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff, some, I find myself saying stuff that's like, it's either painfully simple or it's mind-numbingly dull. I do quite a good line in painfully simple or mind-numbingly dull. But the truth is, I mean, it's obviously, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy uh, trying to make people happy and yeah. have them make customers happy. But we think about it a lot. I think it's a big deal. And just going back to the being yourself thing, I've, I've said it in a couple of podcasts before, but there was three quick examples of that behaviour. And, you know, one was me at Barclay Card, right? Just having to dress a certain way, behave a certain way, you know, Lol. make your boss look good, you know, having to wear a tie on a certain floor yeah. at Canary Wharf. I was just like, come on. And then uh, my wife, um, way back, was at BT, and she didn't wear her engagement ring, which I was slightly suspicious of, because I was Sorry. like, aye, aye, might be an office fella, haughty. Office, yeah. um, but she said, look, as soon as I wear my engagement ring, you know, at the time, then they think they're just doing the maths. They're going right, engaged, probably married quite soon, babies not worth it. Uh, yeah. So um, there was that, and then another one was just a, a client. You know, she worked at a casual dating business, and I hooked up with her on Instagram, and it was just like you look really different, like back then or at weekend, like just totally different person. But the and it was just yeah, I just need to wear this uniform and have my hair a certain way to be taken seriously. All of that said though, just like you, you asked about culture earlier, I think that the point of culture is you find your weird, quirky niche of the universe yeah. and you just do that as much as you can and you hire people that want it, you get rid of people who don't fit with it and you just give it to them as much as possible. Because there definitely is a version. So I went to, I went to McDonald's headquarters in um, Des Plaines, Illinois. Okay. Maybe like four years ago, and I'm I'm, I'm slightly telling a story from from one of our from our second book, but um, available all good books, all the bookshops and some. <laughs> and I'm a, yeah. Uh, so uh, I said to you, my really mom, are forty two, aren't you? Yeah. So, <laughs> I said to my mum, uh, I don't know, my mum's a big become a figure in this, a character in this podcast. Yes, we're going to talk more about it. But I said to my mum, I'm, I'm, I'm going to McDonald's HQ. What, how did that even I'm, come up? Steve either? Easterbrook. Oh, right. Right, so yeah, Steve yeah. Easterbrook had just, he, when he was when he was at Wagamama, I think, he yeah. came in and we had this little period of like having talks in the restaurants from industry figures that we found inspiring. Mm. Right, and Steve had been CEO of McDonald's in the UK. I got to know him a little bit. I asked him if he'd come in and talk about his experience of being McDonald's in the UK. Because I'm a little bit obsessed with McDonald's. Amazing. Uh, and he did. It was such a great. It was such a great talk about, like, especially for me, actually, of like, oh, okay, that is what a CEO of a of a big restaurant company looks like. Yeah. And he obviously went to McDonald's. I know he's not there anymore, but I think like their share price doubled or something. He had seventeen quarters of growth. Incredible. Phenomenally anyway. successful. Yeah. But so we got to know him, and he invited us out. Why don't you come and have a look? Because you're a bit obsessed with McDonald's. So I said this to my mum, and she's like, "Oh my god, do not tell anyone." in the restaurant industry that are going to McDonald's. What are you talking about? It's like, what do you mean? She's like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that you're going to McDonald's. What could you possibly learn from McDonald's? Like, Mum, they're the biggest restaurant company in the world. I'm pretty sure I can learn something. She's like, I doubt it. It's just embarrassing that you're going to McDonald's. It's not like what a serious, not what serious restaurant no. people would do. But it was great. And anyway, the, the, the point that I'm tangenting from, again, is McDonald's is a cult. Yeah. Right? It's... It's full 
of people who really, really conform to its culture. But the culture is like chinos and belt and a tucked in shirt and kind of Midwestern, yeah. extremely nice, formal, polite. It's like right I mean, I remember thinking, I couldn't work here in a million years. And I, I really like that thought. I see people at Hawksmoor who I think, oh, God, you are brilliant and they're having this great career. I also think, you're fucked if you ever leave and go, so go and work somewhere else because yeah. it's not going to work for you in the same yeah. way. Equally, you see people who think, well, they're really doing well yeah. in their careers. They couldn't come and work here. Yeah. And actually, Union Square, you know, as I've got to know Union Square, which is another company I really, really admire. And I, you know, met Danny and some of his guys. And actually, the more time I've spent with them, the more I thought I admire it, but I don't want to be it because it's just it's its own kind of culture, yeah. and that's not ours. And I think I think the idea of culture is just you've got to find your niche and you've got to go for it as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And sometimes I get questions that are a bit more like, oh, how could we? Be more like Hawksmoor just in terms of how we employ people and culture. To which my answer is, don't. There's no point in you trying to be more Hawksmoor. Right. You've uh, got to be more you. Yeah. Work out what you is yeah. first at its best yeah. and then really just try and be that all the time. See, you're right. The amount of briefs that I get <coughs> which are, I want to be like Pret, I want to be like Itsu, I want to be like Hawksmoor, I want to be like Dishun. And it's like, it's blown already that you're yeah. thinking that way. You know, it'd be really great for you just to be iconically you. Let's yeah, also, work out what that is. It, just follow that. I don't know if this is my mentality. You follow that logic to its ultimate conclusion, mm. which is, I would like to be the second best of the type that I admire. That's your maximum. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. I want to be more like someone else. Yeah. Is is that? Isn't it? That's the peak of your ambition. I want to be the second best yeah. sandwich chain or the second best steak, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Rather than, I really want to find what my thing is, and then I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it amazingly well. Well, there's a great phrase, there's a total fanboy, Gary Vaynerchuk, this digital guru. We talked um, about him. Yes, we did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Love him to bits, right? He can split the audience. <laughs> but he's got a great phrase, which is, you can't beat what you copy. Yeah. Which I think's great, you know? Just thinking um, about the culture thing as well, you're seeing these things like, we invited businesses into our business to talk to them. Why are you even doing that? Most people wouldn't do that. I don't know, it's funny enough. I think we paused quite a lot over doing it, not because it didn't seem like a kind of clever commercial decision, but because it sounded, it sounded like a kind of contained an assumption that people might want to hear from us. Yeah. Uh, but even if you had that, thought it was a good there's thing. There's something about, a bit wanky about that. And, but I mean, you know, the truth is, Kerry, who's our uh, her title is People and Process Director. Yeah. I mean, she's she's in charge of all the people and the culture. And, and to be honest, she really owns that now. Her and I, we, we must get asked once a week mm. a version of, "Could I just come in and have a coffee and just ask you a load of questions about how you do that thing?" Yeah. So partly it was let's just try and formalise that a little bit and actually just do a lot of people at once yeah. rather than a few at a time. But we went through this period last year. I'm massively oversimplifying it, but we kind of talked about Hawksmoor has changed and it's changed from sort of feeling like a family mm. to feeling like a community. And okay. and we, we just thought, why don't we build on that thought and really own it? Mm. And we, we thought customers and staff are two obvious like pillars of our community. So that's just, we, we, we are good at those, but we're really trying to make an effort with them again this year. 
but two that we probably underserve are the industry that we're in and society. So just taking that latter one, that like I don't really mean we underserve it. We do a huge amount uh, in terms of like sustainability stuff. Uh, we're three star. Uh, maximum rated by the SRA mm-hmm. and we do a lot of stuff with, I mean, with Action It's Hunger or whatever which is a bit smashy and I see do a lot of good work for charity mate uh, but anyway we do all this we do do all this stuff but I yeah. think we've shied away a little bit from like engaging with issues like for example the environment mm-hmm. or like I think the trend of veganism uh, is a sub trend to a bigger one that's about animal welfare and health and environment mm-hmm. veganism is a small part of that I think we've shied away from it a little bit for, for various reasons, some of which are obvious around like, yeah, but you're a fucking steak restaurant, aren't you? And you make yeah. money and you would say that. We're, yeah, make look disingenuous. Yeah. We try so hard to be great at all of those yeah, things. Yeah. We should probably engage with it a bit more. And then the industry one was, I think we were in danger a little bit of kind of just becoming a little bit isolated from mm. the industry and introspective. Mm. Just going back to the environment thing, um, I don't know, I posted this on LinkedIn this morning. There's an amazing podcast, uh, which is uh, Adam Buxton, mm-hmm. right? And he's got a professor on called Diana Fleischman. Um, and she's a sentientist, which means anything that's got sentient being. So even AI, she's got... You can't of, eat AI? You can't eat robots. You? Don't eat robots, kids. Holy shit, yeah. you can't eat robots now. <laughs> So basically, um, what she said though was interesting. She said she's talking about the suffering footprint as opposed to the carbon footprint. Okay. And she's saying that it's better to eat beef, her theory is, than eggs. Uh-huh. And potentially fish. Okay. Because what she's saying is, for a lot of cows, life's good till the day it's over. Uh, fish, not so much. And also the amount of meals you can get from one cow is incredible compared to the amount of fish and the da-da-da-da. But she's also saying about chickens where they're getting forced to lay eggs, which then actually strips them of all their goodness and... Blah blah blah, and then in America they force them into spring through making it winter for a short time and then making it spring again, so they'll produce. So it's a fascinating point. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's so easy to it's, it's so easy to to get into that. I think, and into you know, I've, I've we've spent a lot of time over the years. You know, we don't buy from we don't buy beef from like a wholesaler. Mm. You know, we've we've been on we've been on the farms and we know the farmers and we've seen the farmers like do that weird kind of talking to a cow the way I talked to my great dame this morning mm. thing and you know I, I've also been to the abattoir and I've seen them walk through the kind of temple grand and designed mm. uh, kind of walk to their final moment I've seen the final moment and I've seen them you know go from a corpse into sides of beef and I think it's really important as someone who sells that kind of stuff that you see it not just like you're informed because you know we try and read about you know the carbon elements of all of this stuff and 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 the kind of arguments you're just making but I think you've got to go and like see it and if you're not comfortable 
seeing it, then what the fuck are you doing on the other end of it, yeah. profiting off it? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't blame most customers mm. who are just feeding their kids right from not seeing it. But I think I have to, and people at Hawks have to. Yeah, yeah. And you're. I mean, that is true. These cattle lead good lives. They lead the kind of lives that you, th- you know my six-year-old son believes all cows live like yeah, yeah. and they fucking don't mm. uh, and they you know one minute they look to their left yeah. and it's it's over yeah and that's it um, and, and I remember Tim Wilson from Ginger Pig and we used, we used them for a long time used to say if you, if you want to see animals on fields in fields in Britain mm. you've got to accept that they're going to eat because we because they're going to eat them because yeah. They're not pack animals anymore. Yeah, yeah. We don't use animals, working animals on the land. Mm. Either there are animals or there aren't. And yeah. you can agree with that or not. It doesn't really make any difference. But we're dealing with issues there that are really complex, right? Mm. Even for your... Sen- sen- yeah, that person. Yeah. Even for them, I often think, like, people ask me questions about stuff like service charge or carbon or something. And my answer is... Listen, if you can give me five to ten minutes to talk to you about, like, whatever, tax or methane emissions yeah. or whatever, or sequestering carbon, then I can give you what I think is the answer. But it takes me five to ten minutes Ooh. to really get up to it. It's so much easier, isn't it, to just go, no, let me give you a much more simple rule of thumb. Ooh. And here's my rule of thumb. Meat is bad. That's easier, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, quite plausibly... Pin it all on amount of suffering. I mean, you're asking someone to do a little bit more work. I don't mm. think people know that, for example, the majority of dairy that you might consume has probably seen cows live quite an unpleasant life yeah. compared to eating a Hawksmoor steak where that cow has lived the exact life that you want a cow to live. Yeah. So the majority of milk that you buy, that's probably true. Yeah. Be careful about the milk you buy, not not the beef, yeah. if animals' welfare is what you want to yeah, yeah. think about. But all these kind of rules of some are, they're complicated, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the one that I try to go with, because the truth is, we all want a rule of thumb. You're asking people to make decisions on unbelievably difficult, complicated things, when all we want to do is just be slightly better humans and move on. And it's, it's the moderation yeah. thing, right? Just try and have the best stuff you can have. Yeah. At all times, you know, whether that is beer or wine or sure. meat or, you know, veg or whatever. So, yeah, know, my, I think my one is, like, eat less meat, yeah. but eat better meat. Yeah. You can go... I often feel bad in the States if I, I went to a place in Chicago originally, I'm not going to name, that was horrific, and I had, like, a Italian sausage and beef sub. And, oh, my God, I just... I was overwhelmed. Not overwhelmed. But I really thought a lot about... I know for a fact those animals lived an unpleasant life. Yeah. Like, if you think about a lot of bacon, where it comes from, like industrial pig farming, horrific. Some of the kind of, like, massive feedlots in the States, horrific. Some of the kind of, you know, battery chicken, horrific. It's the last thing in the world you want to do. Does the farming look like how I think it's supposed to look? I know how chickens and pigs and cows are supposed to live. I know how farmers are supposed to treat them. Yeah. I've known it since I was five. Yeah. Does it look like that? Yeah. at Hawksmoor, the answer is, yeah, it's what it looks like. Yeah. And I, I think that feels good. And I think that the answer to that is is what's good for the environment. Mm-hmm. That's my rule of thumb. Sorry, I got on high horse there. No, it's I, good. Went off, I went off on one. A free-range horse. I went off on a free-range <laughs> horse. Yeah.
Hi, I'm Alex from Engage, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing, and this week's comes from Fred, our head of email marketing, who shares his insights on making first impressions count. It doesn't matter how great your email content is if users don't open it, so it's vital to make sure your first impressions are spot on. While it's crucial to nail your subject line, don't forget to consider how well it works in conjunction with your pre-header text and sender name. Subject lines should be short and succinct as you only have a small amount of space to capture your audience's attention. Be aware of truncation too and avoid positioning specific words in places which could lead to an awkward message if cut off in the wrong spot by an email client. You can also further optimize by adding emojis and personalization which are proven to increase email opens but try to stick to no more than a couple of emojis. As for pre-header text, this area is the perfect space for building on the story you started with your subject line. It's a great way to tease your audience about the rest of the content. When it comes to the sender name, most of the time this will be your brand name, but think about whether it could be sent from an individual such as restaurant manager and choose an approach which best suits the campaign content. Finally, A-B testing is an excellent way of proving which subject line, pre-header and sender name resonate most with your audience. Test this by sending a couple of versions of your email to a small portion of your audience, each with a different variant, and see which performs best. Then send the best performing test campaign to the remainder of your database. If you need help with your own email campaigns, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. So you've been talking a bit about... um closing restaurants as well in your Twitter you said something the other day about you know you know a bit about that and all that I guess that's the opposite end to talk about so you know what were your learnings from that and did you have any outside help or coaching or did you read things that kind of helped figure that out I I, I think I've only kind of read two things I think about closing restaurants one was going back to Danny Meyer setting mm-hmm. the table, which like for a significant portion of my restaurant life was like the Bible of how we, how we aspired to behave. He closed a restaurant called Tabla, an Indian restaurant. Okay. And he spends a whole, whole chapter talking about, these aren't his words, they're more of the kind of words we would use. How do you close something with integrity? Mm. Right, and that, that was us at Foxlow. Mm. We closed, closed five Foxlows over time, which was just, okay. The decision is now no longer do we do it or don't we do it? Mm-hmm. The question we're all going to ask ourselves is what does doing it with integrity look like? Mm-hmm. And we are lucky that we have a successful business that allows us to close another yeah. successful business with integrity. Um, and really, we just answered that question and then went about that slowly. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it matters to me, that closing it with integrity thing. But the thing I posted the other day, and another thing that I've read about a, a guy in Toronto, I think, who kind of started up his dream restaurant, was really about like the labour of love mm-hmm. that gets people into restaurants. That the dream so rarely tends to be about money. It's about like creating something or living life in a certain way, or just a passion around food or drink or whatever. And how potentially soul-destroying that can be mm-hmm. when they shut, which I've certainly experienced like pre-Hawksmoor, when we also had three failed restaurants. Right. Um, but the article I posted was just like, it doesn't have to be. Like, it's, it's okay mm-hmm. 
for a dream to die. You've tried and, and it's going to be replaced and here's some ways of doing it. And I don't know, I, I am interested in that. And I am interested in like smaller, smaller restaurant groups. And it, does, it matters to me seeing people who have got into something for those kind of reasons do well. Mm. And I, I, if, I, if I just think about your... Um, your area of expertise, marketing, spoke to someone recently who I really admire. And they've done they they've done really, really well in restaurants. And they were talking about a restaurant that was a restaurant of theirs that was struggling. Mm-hmm. And they said to me something like, I think I think we've done everything. I think we've given it all we can. Right? Okay. I put the best manager in there and best waiters, mm-hmm. really spent a lot of time on the food. It the product is good. Mm-hmm. And it is still not working. So I think that spells that spells the end. Yeah. And I'm going to go down and I'll be okay with it. And I was like, what are you talking about? Have you done any marketing? He's like, no, no. And we didn't say this, of course, he didn't say this, but almost the sense taken to its extreme conclusion was, I see it often amongst independent restaurateurs, yeah. if you build it right, they will come. Yep. And anything that you do that is beyond build it and they will come, somehow sullies the purity of the thing that we have built. Yeah. And I just think, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to feel like that. I see it with money as well. I mean, money is amongst the independent restaurant crowd. It's a bit of a dirty word, isn't it? Yeah. So there's something slightly awkward about like... In what, investment it's, it's things? Or? investment or successful or it's making money. Somehow restaurants are a bit more pure if that doesn't happen. And I don't know, the... the, the, the phrase that we have always used is like money should be to our business what oxygen is to our lives so it's not the point no. but if we don't have it forget it and I, I think it often happens in restaurants that people feel that the more businessy aspect is unpure and I I don't know I, I would love to see fewer restaurants shut mm-hmm. for that reason because people didn't get to grips really with the businessy bit yeah. rather than the restauranty bit it's quite, it's quite and how common. How is that? Like culture and how well, you get good stuff is that other, businessy bit as well. That's the other side, which is I see that quite often where finally they say, right, do you know the, the phone calls I get a lot of the time is, I need PR. What? Why? You know, like, that's not, like, they are muddled what marketing is and what it can do for them. And it's like, I wouldn't start at PR. I would sort of go back a few things and, if you look at models for marketing, you know, you want to be looking at owned channels first, then paid, then earned. So then, you know, that's PR at the end. And, and you get, and you're like, don't start there because then, nothing against PR, but it, you know, paying three, four, five grand a month. That's such a great, such a great way of thinking about it. Uh, I've never heard it before. Uh, owned, paid, paid earned. Yeah. So like something I said to someone yesterday, we talked, I was just, it was a journalist talking about like, trying to open up in New York and, and have a good culture in New York. And they, they, they said, you know, tell us about some of the things that you do. Like, I've heard that you've done, like, self-defense classes. Yeah. I've heard that you've done, like, sign language. i heard that you've done, like, whatever it is. And I'm like, I can tell you about that. And I know, I know that is the interesting thing, but it isn't to me. The interesting thing to me is we really try and give people a decent work-life balance. Yeah, yeah. We're nice to people. We... 
we have income insurance if something goes really bad in their lives. Like we try and make sure that their manager knows how to like look after people yeah. and get the best out of them. It's so boring. The things that we do are so boring, but there that the do the simple and the dull stuff well, yeah. going back to my simple and dull mantra, you do that well, you can build on that with some really, really interesting, quirky stuff that I know is what you'd all like to hear about, which is just, oh yeah, if I if I do this quirk, this if I if I do this funny marketing yeah, yeah. gimmick, then it will all sort yeah. itself out. It won't. Yeah. You've got there's a building block. And a couple of things on that. What will happen, and again it's about everyone copying and imitating, is they someone will read, some CEO or people personal or whatever will read Hawksmilder's self-defence classes and they'll go, that's how we'll get a great culture. And they'll do that one thing. It's the same with marketing. Yeah. Have you seen what Crazy Pedros is doing? We should do the same. Or have you seen what Deshume give out their, you know, breakfast, you know, vouchers when you go and meet them? We should do the same. And it just becomes a sort up camel of like different ideas that they've just copied this amazing cartoon that I like Uh, it was just like one box cartoon with sort of four bits in it and obviously this is you can tell I don't do podcasts very often (laughs) because I'm going to try and describe a cartoon but to me it encapsulates uh, what the hospitality industry is about sometimes in that kind of way so there is a person drowning right Right, and the person obviously is someone going down in service, or work is too hard, or this career is too much for them. But anyway, they're drowning. They're slipping below the water, but their hand is outstretched, as it would be, right, if you're drowning. And during the course of this cartoon, another hand comes into the picture, which is the hand of whatever the company or the manager or something, and it just looks like they're going to grab the hand and save them. And instead, it high-fives it and goes, yeah, pizza party. And in my mind, that is like, oh, yeah, that, that is often, like, rule number one, them. let's just try and avoid the people drowning. Yeah. Rule number two, if you see people drowning, let's try and save them. Yeah. Pizza party is just like, if you've got one and two right, let's have, like, a fun party at the end of the year. But I often see that, like, oh, yeah, your job shit, but here's a crate of beer. Yeah, what are you doing? Take away the job being shit stuff yeah. rather than like, yeah, we know it is, but, you know, here you go. Take away the beer. And, and then I think the other mistake people make to, you know, some of the points you've made as well is once they've convinced themselves it isn't a dirty business doing the business thing, they'll hire a professional in inverted commas and they'll hire a marketer or a digital person or a CEO I think you're going to talk yourself down now. I'm excited about how you're going to talk about you should hire a marketing professional. It's good. Oh, but the culture bit's more important. So, yeah, they're good at their job, but they maybe don't get you or your yeah. business, you know? And that happens all the time. They hire someone who, on paper, is fucking brilliant, but then it clashes and, you know, so it gets horrendous. It's so difficult. It's we think about it in our business a lot. If you do something that you have never done before, mm. and almost by definition, if you're growing, you're constantly doing things that you've never done before, whether like you're one restaurant and you're starting to do some marketing, yeah. or you're three and you might try and do some HR, mm-hmm. or in my case, you're eight and you're going to start opening a restaurant in New York. You, you are, you're confronted with the issue do I want to get some help here from someone who has been there and done it mm-hmm. and has been successful? Or 
do I want to, but they know nothing about Hawksmoor or my business or its culture yeah. or how we like to do things. And if they are making high level decisions on our behalf, you're just a bit nervous that they're going to get them wrong mm. on brand or culture or values or something. And oh God, that's difficult, especially for everyone else who didn't get that job or who has to work with that person. Or am I going to give someone a chance mm. to shine in that kind of area? Bearing in mind, they really know Hawksmoor, but they don't know the area that they're going into. Yeah. They're going to have to make it up as they go along. They're going to do it with zero support from me because I don't know either. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a genuinely really, really, really difficult. difficult decision that I would say more often than not, but by no means always, yeah. we answer with a Hawksmoor person. Yeah. I would say, and we have had failures both ways. Mm. It's just a really difficult, it's a really yeah. difficult thing to get right. And it's hard with businesses like yours and, you know, your bedfellows, you know, the Schumann, these kind of quality places, that almost what you're wanting as well is sort of non-marketed, non-traditional, all the old tricks. You, you, you're working hard to do it in a slightly different way that might be slower or, you know, so it is, it's, it's hard for anyone trying to give yeah. you advice because Although, you do it in a very different way. I think, you know, people, and people like, certainly like me, I mean, this is definitely true of me, but if I had to guess, I'd say it's true of Cavi and Shamil as well, or, you know, James and Tom, Peter Pilgrims, you know, yeah. the Honest Burgers guys, people that I really, really admire. Yeah. If they're anything like me, they can also go too far down that route. I go too far down that route. I just want to do things in a Hawksmoor way sometimes. Yeah. I, I'm reluctant to take advice from people who've been there and done it. Yeah. And I have to be regularly shaken out of that. Like, what are you talking about? So, you know our new head of marketing, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Such a lovely guy. Amazing, yeah. Um, and he has come uh, from a different restaurant company mm -hmm. in the past. Uh, and Somewhere meaty. Somewhere meaty. <laughs> and he'll talk, he'll, he'll say something to me a little bit like, I think we should look at like sales and PDR occupancy. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to stop there, Matt. I would like to, I'd like to think about like, you know, we're off, you know, I'd like to think about fish and how can we tell our story around fish and da, 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 da. and Tim, who's worked with me for 2000 since 2006, he's our manager director. He's like, what are you fucking talking about? You're out of your mind. He's like. Let me, let me change what Matt said, because he's only just started. Let me change it into language that you, it, your language, yeah. which is this. Half your restaurants have beautiful private dining rooms. Mm -hmm. You've spent fucking ages, you and Hugh, yeah. building them, designing them, thinking about the menu, training the staff that work in them. When people go to them, they really, really have a good time. And yet, they are not full as often as your restaurants are full. Yeah. Why don't you get someone to help you with that via the magic of sales and marketing? I'm like, why don't you just say that in the first place? That's exactly... Oh, oh it's just... Make, make you know, more people happy and make more money. It, it's yeah, funny, sounds we good. literally said that. We literally <laughs> said that. Tim said, Tim said, my way of... Tim said, his way of saying it was drive covers. Matt's old company's way of saying it was bums on seats. Yeah. And the Hawksmoor way of saying it are the exact words that you just said, <laughs> which is make more people happy. Yeah. 
<laughs> I can walk to anyone in the company and say, yeah. we're going to go down a bums on seats sales trajectory. And they're like, oh my fucking God, yeah, what are yeah. you talking about? I can say, we're just going to try and make more people happy. We're all in. Yeah, You've yeah, told yeah. us we're, 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 nothing else. We don't do anything else. If that's what you're doing, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And it, you, you do need to check yourself, I think, often of, sorry, I don't want to learn something from other people. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't think my business is improvable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's definitely a danger. <laughs> From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Fourth. Fourth is the leading hospitality workforce, inventory, and analytics provider. Fourth effectively manages your employee's journey using its integrated workforce management system. Fourth also improves your organisational efficiency by streamlining and managing all of your purchasing and inventory. And Fourth Analytics gives you instant insight to make better business decisions all from your phone, tablet or your computer. Transform your hospitality business today. Go to Fourth.com now. And then just talking about seafood then, I saw a little while ago, um, there was quite a big drive on seafood actually, so a lot of posts that were going out and I think it was a neat reminder that you do that stuff. Um, did you see a change in attitudes towards it? You know, people believing more the story, the you know, what, what you're serving and all that, or were they just going for the usual when they came in? So, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a few things there. So. When we launched Air Street in 2013, mm-hmm. every time we launched new, it was our fourth restaurant, every time we launched New Hawksmoor, we really, we really wanted to give it its own identity and to do something else that was kind of new and interesting. And we, and, we, and it was, this restaurant's huge. Yeah, it's big, yeah. it's 235 seats in the restaurant, plus a big bar. Mm-hmm. We'd never done anything that big before or since, actually. Um, and we kind of thought, you know, we want to do something interesting, but also it's got to have more variety, right? Wouldn't it be, blended? Wouldn't it be cool to do like, wouldn't it be cool for a steak restaurant to do London's best seafood restaurant as well? Yeah, yeah. How do you do London's best seafood restaurant? And we went off and we spent ages and, and we spent a lot of time with Mitch Tonks, who's yes. really close. What's his brand called? Is it Rockfish? Rock yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he said to us fairly, fairly simply, good seafood is predominantly about good supply chain. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're pre- preaching to the choir at Hawksmoor because we think good beef is predominantly about good supply chain. He says... Most people go to a wholesaler, they will buy, they'll buy fish there. Yeah. And if you just think about the journey of fish, comes out of the sea, mm-hmm. it goes to a market. It goes from a market, possibly to a secondary market like Billingsgate. It goes from Billingsgate to a wholesaler, it goes from a wholesaler to a restaurant, it goes from a restaurant to the company. It is aging, it is decomposing actually, it's probably an easier way yeah, to think yeah, about yeah. this, during that process. So when you buy a fish, are you buying the freshest one that's come in at that stage, or are you buying the one that they need to move on? Cut out as many of the stages as you that's possibly can. That's a good can. spot. So, we now have a guy, and have done since 2013, who buys fish every day in Brixham Market, off the boats, and sends it here. Great. There is no wholesaler, there is no secondary market. We cut out two of the things that everyone else gets their stuff from. And we really kind of went large on fish and seafood. And we cook it the same way we cook beef. So in a way, like supply chain, very similar philosophy. Cooking, simple, charcoal, you know, similar philosophy. 
And then I think probably since then, we've been involved in this kind of push-don't-push push relationship with seafood. Like we stress, sort yeah. of want, we sort of want to really go to town with seafood. We eat a lot of it in our own restaurants. Um, we really, really like it. I think it's it's an incredible thing that we do that we do differently from other people. Mm -hmm. It totally sits with the kind of trend of like moving away from meat. And yet, most people don't think that hard about what Hawksmoor is. Yeah. It's a steak restaurant. What do you want when you go to Hawksmoor? You want a steak. You said, you started yeah. off by saying Shaky Pete, right? Mm. I could tell you a load of about all the other cocktails that we have on our list. Yeah. But really, if you want Shaky Pete, if that's what you come to Hawksmoor yeah. for, what am I doing by kind of suggesting to you, here's a whole load of other, you know, da -da 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 -da. Yeah. So we're caught between, oh, wouldn't it be great if people, you know, really engage with the seafood thing, it's so amazing, and, oh no, they just want steak, we really should be, you know, focusing on that, talking yeah. about that, that is our identity, we are a steak restaurant, even if we went through a little phase five years ago of, maybe, maybe we've become more mm. than a steak restaurant, and it took someone to, someone that we paid to do some brand work to say to us, essentially, you fucking haven't, you're a steak restaurant, own it, you're a really, really good one. So it's, it's just an interesting yeah. back and forth for us around seafood. But that said, maybe maybe the point is the seafood is really, really good. And that's what's quite exciting for me, because you know, I'm a big fan of you know, restaurants anyway, but at the moment what they're talking about is like you need 80 to 100 pieces of content a day on social, right, for you to stand out. So... Matt, that yeah, seems way short. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm despite watching my, Despite my uh, stream of consciousness. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I, I think, in general, you know, I've, I've got a, a brand that's a, a sort of modern British fish restaurant in, in Brighton, and it's the same challenge, and it's just, do you know that brilliant story you've just rhymed off like that? That's it. That's your content. You know, it's letting people... I, I think a lot of people like, think too hard about it. Yeah. And, also the opportunities to see on organic social, 7% maybe of people are seeing every post. So, you know, but I, yeah, I think there's good stories to tell. I there's loads of, know. Yeah, there's, good. there's loads and loads of, 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 Hawksmoor, of Hawksmoor stories. I think, the, you know, this guy who came in and did some work, did some work with us, and he told us a variety of things. One of them was like, you're a fucking steak restaurant, don't kid yourselves. He also said the most mm. amazing thing, by the way, so I think I'm going to tangent again. As, as his other, even bigger, get over yourselves. And I think about it a lot, and it's, it's so great. He says, he says to me, you know, you guys really love Hawksmoor, right? Yeah, your customers, a lot of customers really love Hawksmoor. Like, yeah, they, they really do. We get so much, like, almost culty following from our, from our customers. Yeah. He's like, if you closed all of your restaurants and folded tomorrow, mm. in three months how many people do you think would genuinely care that that happened? And I'll tell you what the answer is. It's not nearly as many as you think because the answer is almost no one. Wow. Most people, a lot of people wouldn't notice. Okay. A lot of people would be a bit disappointed and they would move on very, very quickly with their lives. And a small number of people would genuinely regret that you weren't there anymore. But let's not kid ourselves, three months. <laughs> three, if you extend three months a bit longer, they'll all join the other group. 
it's just a reality of the, of the yeah. world that you're in. Again, love. own it. It was, it was such a, I don't know why it was too great thing to think about. It was a bit like thinking... And you were giving them money for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bit like, like an S&M sort of thing. It's a bit like you talked about, you talked about Buddhism to me earlier. Like, there's a thing in Buddhism about, like, meditate on your own death. Like, mm. It's like, you haven't got that long. Yeah. You're not as big a deal as you think you are. What do you want to do with the time that you're given? Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, shit, that's a really good question. What do you you're want to do with the time that you're given? Yeah. Because... That is, that is the truth of this. Yeah. And our answer is not, shit, I want to make as much money as possible and go. Yeah. It's, I just want to do something that like, when my personal time is, I want to look back at it and think, yeah, yeah. fuck that, what great period of my life. What an amazing thing that we did for a time. That's, that's it. I found it really, really useful. <laughs> I need to find out who this guy is. This sounds great. I'm not quite yeah, sure so where that tangent came a, from. A brand, brand dominatrix. Or something. I've, gone from, I've gone from what do you think about fish to, yeah, but we might all die one day. <laughs> oh, it's going to happen for sure, yeah. The life clock is ticking. Right, so you're going to need to go soon. So last few questions. It's called Mark Out of Ten. Just some likes and right. dislikes that you have. So best city to eat in your well-travelled. Uh, if Hugh was here, he would say Japan uh-huh. because he is obsessed with taking an idea and seeing how good you can make it. And if anything, I think uh, marks Japan out. It's that kind of like insane quest for perfection. He loves that. I don't know for me. I, I think probably one of the best meals I ever had was at a like a, a small 20-seat market restaurant in Porto. So I don't know, I don't know about cities, like I'm not really a, I want to go to a city for X. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm more like, rest, I want to go to a restaurant for mm-hmm. X. My fond memories really are about restaurants mm-hmm. rather than cities with lots of restaurants. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 no, totally, totally. Leon, there you are. Just to give you an answer, Leon. The sandwich shop. <laughs> so I, went to a restaurant, I went to a restaurant in Leon, immediately noting that I'm not answering your question quickly at all. Went to a restaurant in Leon. Uh, a little bouchon restaurant that was it was really lovely but not special yeah and all this stuff went down and I think my stepdad who was who was half French had died like in the previous year mm. and the food that went down it was almost like they brought his perfect meal oh. uh, and I just went outside and like burst into tears oh. and called my mum but it was also like, I look back on that restaurant as like yeah. one of the happiest meals I've ever had yeah. of just, oh, I was like being with I like those things about yeah, restaurants yeah. that they can, they can give you those little triggers. Yeah, memories yeah, yeah. and happiness. What's well, like a song or a smell or, you know, that perfume yeah, 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 exactly. or you're whisked back somewhere great. Is there a favourite restaurant, maybe apart from that one, is there a favourite restaurant over and above that or is, is that? I, th- I think probably the restaurant that I have had the most special memories in is the Seahorse in, in Devon Mitch is, Mitch is yeah. one of Mitch's restaurants but his kind of one off restaurant I have been there and been extremely happy mm-hmm. so many times I mean it helps now that I know Mitch and I know everyone in the restaurant and they're always very nice to me and I get invited to the fun things but yeah. before I knew Mitch like I had like a magic meal there with my wife uh, that we both remember now. We can both remember everything we ate there and what music was playing and what the manager was like. And, uh, so yeah, it's probably Seahorse and Devon. And favourite dish? 
What's your favourite go-to? Steak. It's definitely steak. <laughs> I'm not even... I, 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 will, not justify, I will not justify my answer. <laughs> okay. From anywhere in particular. Um, and uh, favourite drink? What's your go-to tipple after a stressful day? Um, I do you know, I'm not a... I'm not like a end of day massive drinker, but What's I, this I, morning? Remember, I remember saying to I remember saying to a woman called Becca who worked for us, and, and she was kind of she was our head of wine at the time. I said, oh, I'm just really thinking, about, I want to kind of buy some wine for home. And she said, Oh, you, you I mean, you like Northern Rome? I was like, Do I? It, I've never even had the thought I like Northern Rome. She's like, Yeah, you really like Northern okay. Rome. Uh, and it turns out, oh yeah, I do. Uh, I, just, I was really impressed that she knew that before I did. <laughs> so there you are. No, I like Northern Rome. And then worst restaurant, avoid at all costs or a bad experience? <sighs> so many. <laughs> there are so many restaurants, but uh, I've definitely got one that I'm not going to mention. Okay. I just think it is the emperor. In my mind, it's the emperor's new clothes. Right. Everyone talks about it being great. I've never, ever, ever had a good meal there. Okay. And I've, I've actually had meals that make me angry. Uh, but I had a meal the other day that made me angry in somewhere else in, in, in the States. I went to a steak restaurant and I went to the city and we were thinking, looking at the city and seeing if we liked it. And the guy I was with said, let's go to like, you know, let's go to whatever the highest grossing restaurant yeah. is in that city. I was like, please don't, I don't want to go to a steak restaurant. I want to go, I want to go to like cool, yeah, fun restaurants funky, that yeah. I like, that I think, you know, their customers might want to go to Hawksmoor. He's like, no, stupid, just go to a steak restaurant. I said, it'll be so bad. It was so bad. Wasn't a Michael Jordan I spent, I spent the whole <laughs> evening furious. I mean, I, I'm such an unangry person. What was Michael? I was so this? grumpy. I'll just give you one example. I said to the, the waiter, what I always say to waiters in a steak restaurant, can you tell me anything about the beef? You know, where, where does it come from? And he's like, oh, oh man, let me tell you. Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, we've got, we've got our own herd and they are like, you know, they're, they're cross dairy cattle and, you know, we kill them young. We, you know, when you get them young, that's what really makes the meat as, t- meat as tender as possible. And it's so incredible. That's what we do. And it made me angry for a number of reasons. One, it's the exact opposite of all the things that I believe make steak good. Right. And by the way, the steak's horrible but two I'm almost certain he was lying alright <laughs> so he just I'm almost certain they don't own their own herd they don't get stuff from dairy cattle and they don't slaughter it as young as possible what are you talking about that is not actually accurate you're lying and it's a horrible lie uh, so yeah bad c- cynicism in restaurants is the thing that makes me angry and did you Go back to him or not? Or did you just have an ulcer as no, he was talking no, to just, you? Yeah, exactly. Just, just, just <laughs> internalised it. No, I was very English about the whole thing. It sounds oh, terribly nice. Says, Great, says, thank you. How young? Tell me oh, how young. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had this meal, obviously vastly overpriced meal, where we left everything. Hey guys, how was your meal? Oh, it's fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Couldn't eat another thing. <laughs> we for thin mint. So English. Yeah. Bless him. He's away yesterday, wasn't he? Right, so we're going to wrap up. I think we've done well to avoid the story that has been told, the greatest story ever told. told Uh, We haven't talked about your mum as much as would be embarrassing, so that's good. We can leave that for another podcast. And also, we avoided the wine story. 
So, yeah, we can do it another time, maybe. Don't mind, I don't, don't mind that story as much. <laughs> I feel like that isn't one that's been told it's to been death. Well documented. For like 48 hours, it's maybe. Well it's been to death. But. So, what made you fake that? No. Right. We're Just to be clear, I didn't. <laughs> no, I know. What didn't fake it? Don't start with me. Right, I'm out of here. I'm going off for a lovely lunch at Lena Stores. Delicious. I'm excited about that. I'm going off for a lovely lunch at Hawksmoor. Oh, you, of course. I wouldn't expect anything else. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for your hospitality. It's a pleasure. And uh, sorry being... for being so rambly. <laughs> that was great. Really good. So yeah. Well, thank you. We'll Thanks. see you soon. Cheers. Cheers. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much to our headline partners, Engage Interactive from Leeds. They, to me, are the best web agency around. I've launched a couple of very successful projects with them and they're really worth talking to if you need anything doing from the social side, website, SEO, PPC, CRM, apps, all different things. So definitely try and talk to Engage if you can. Huge thanks also to our premium partner BDO who've supported us all the way since series one. If you've got any accounting queries, mergers and acquisitions advice, growth of your business advice, do give them a call. Thanks also to you for listening, sharing, rating and reviewing as usual. Really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who's stuck with us in Series 1 and is continuing to spread the good word about Series 2. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all of their hard work in putting the podcast together. I know it's a rush most weeks, but I really, really appreciate all that you're doing. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to check me out and check out the podcast. I really hope that this episode, more than ever, has helped you gain some real value and insight that will help your brand boom. Boom.